Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. We lost a great man this week, ladies and gentlemen. The great Robbie Zacharias went to be with the Lord earlier this week. And we knew that his time was coming because he uh, had made it known that he had cancer and the folks down at MD Anderson could not do anything more for him. And he passed away, as I said earlier this week. He was an unbelievable evangelist, apologist, philosopher, theologian, from whom just about everybody you know in apologetics and many people you hear about from the pulpit have learned from Ravi Zacharias. Uh, his winsome demeanor but penetrating intellect was unparalleled in the Christian world. And we mourn his loss, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope. In fact, this is what Paul said to the, to the Thessalonians in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we grieve, but not as those without hope, because we know we will see Ravi again, and his work will continue here on earth for generations, because Ravi did not leave uh, a organization devoid of talent and insight. One of the senior vice presidents of the Ravi Zacharias International Ministry is with us today. His name is Abdu Murray. I'm sure you know of Abdu. He's been on our program before. He's shared the stage with Ravi many times. He's a trained attorney who has won accolades for being one of the top attorneys in the country. He speaks at churches, college campuses, business and government uh, and, and government gatherings. He has a brand new podcast, which let me tell you is outstanding because what he does is he takes the rules of evidence from a courtroom and he applies them to the evidence for Christianity. The podcast is called The Defense Never Rests. Uh, he's written several books. In fact, the last book that Ravi published called Seeing Jesus from the East, he co-wrote with my guest today, Abdu Murray. So it's always wonderful to have Abdu on. Abdu, I know it's been a difficult week. I know you've been fielding phone calls and doing interviews. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm okay, Frank. You know, it has been tough, uh, but, uh, you know, talking about Ravi is always a pleasure and sharing uh, his ministry and what, he, what he's done in the lives of so many, not the least of which are yours in my life, uh, mm. has been a real pleasure um, to do that and an honor, in fact. So I'm doing okay. It has been tough and, uh, and energy draining. But it has been invigorating, strangely, as well, because you're right. We, 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 we grieve as those who do not, uh, not as those who don't have hope, but we grieve as those who do have a hope uh, to see our, our beloved once again and to see the Savior that Ravi served once again. Ravi was unlike any evangelist or apologist, maybe in history, Abdu. I know you know that even better than I do because you spent a lot more time with him than I did, although we both marveled at him from the audience several times in our in our lives mm -hmm. he was someone that could go to any venue 
in any place at any time and speak to people even hostile to his worldview. He would go into Muslim countries, as you know, and your background as a Muslim, you were you had a nine year journey coming to Christianity out of Islam. But yet Ravi could speak to any group at any time in any way and they would hear him. Uh, it, 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 it was unbelievable the kind of impact that that man had and will continue to have because he continues to have it through you and the entire RZIM organization. And a little bit later in the program, uh, friends, we're going to talk about where RZIM goes from here. It's going to be a vibrant ministry that doesn't end because Ravi has gone to be with the Lord. But Abdu, he was such a unique individual. What was your first interaction with Ravi? How did you hear about him? Well, I actually heard about him by, by Providence, really. I was driving on a long road trip uh, in a very rural area on a Sunday morning. And this is back in the 90s, early 90s, really, when um, iPods weren't a thing. You couldn't digitally control music and play whatever you wanted outside of your tapes that were in your car. And on this long road trip, I had exhausted the music choices that I had brought with me. Uh, so I was beholden to the scan button on the radio, you know, and I'm, 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 I hit the button. On an early Sunday morning, I wasn't a Christian, wasn't even close just yet, uh, and I happened to go to country station, to Christian station, to country station, and neither one of which was actually uh, of any appeal to me back then. Uh, but then I hear this Indian-accented voice talking about Jesus, and I'm thinking, uh, I've never heard an Indian talk about Jesus before, and mm -hmm. my goodness, he's doing it so well. And so I, I, I went back to the station, because you know the button sometimes goes past the station. I go back to it. I'm listening. It's a very short program, about 25, 26 minutes on the radio. And he is quoting poetry in the middle of giving a philosophical argument that references the Bible. So he's using scripture, philosophy, poetry, all at the same time. And he was really speaking my language because he's speaking in an Eastern way. He's speaking in a Middle Eastern way. He's speaking in a Western way. And I'm sort of a two-culture kid, you know, um, born and raised in the States, come from a Muslim background, have an Arab uh, heritage. And I know how important language and poetry is to my people and uh, the way in which uh, it was important to the Easterners uh, who are the progenitors and, the, and the, the, the authors whom God used to pen his word in the Bible. And he was speaking so, so many different audiences, and I was enthralled by it. It would be years later before I actually became a Christian, but I went back and I couldn't search the Internet, of course, because the Internet was sort of an infancy, infancy stage back then. Um, to look for the radio stations that he was on. And I found a couple here and there. I got the tapes of the Harvard Veritas Forum eventually and listened to those on my journey. I was exposed to other apologists as well, through Robbie, and that got me on the search. I was on the search in lots of ways, but they were a big part of that search, and Robbie was a huge part of it. And then, of course, eventually I started speaking uh, on the Christian faith myself. Uh, Robbie and his team caught notice, and I started doing stuff with them. Uh, as they invited me to various conferences to speak with them, and eventually they asked me to join the team. But my real first interaction was by a providence. I, I did not intend to hear um, a Christian preacher on a Sunday morning, which, of course, I would inevitably in the rural area I was. But I was a Muslim kid, you know? I didn't expect that. And here he was, and God brought him into my life that way. Do you remember the first argument or insight that he gave? Now, when you were a Muslim, I mean, Abdu, that you went, yeah. I really need to check more into this. What did he say that caused you to say, this is credible, I need to look into this? Well, uh, uh, 
you know, and memory sometimes conflates, right? This is 20 something years ago. Uh, uh-huh. plus. And, um, so sometimes I think about all the messages I've ever heard of him, um, from him. And I don't want to necessarily rely on my memory as sacrosanct. So if it were the case mm-hmm. that that day he didn't even give that message, I don't want to be beholden to it. But what I do remember him talking about was, um, the way in which, um, uh, a secularization of society leads to a loss of a sense of shame. And then mm. he was talking essentially about the whole idea of what does secularization actually mean? What does privatization and pluralization actually mean? He's very well known for speaking on these issues. But I wasn't quite sure. Again, I don't know if it was that particular day, but soon after that I heard these things. But one of the things that I distinctly remember was the way in which he was talking about how God actually speaks uh, in the Bible. God speaks to the accuracy of the human condition with an unblemished, unvarnished truth that tells you who you are. And part of that is that we're in, we're, we're, we're in a sinful condition. And that is evidence of the Bible's accuracy because it's not telling you, in distinction to other worldviews, it's not telling you what you want to hear. It's telling you what the truth actually is. Uh, and that was uh, very jarring because that was in distinction to my own worldview and every other worldview I encountered where the Bible is very, very honest about this. Amongst other things, and he was talking about meaning, and then he referenced the cross in terms of meaning, and that was, I've never seen someone connect not just religion to meaning, but a particular religion to mm-hmm. meaning, and he was, uh, he was referencing the cross relative to meaning specifically. We're talking to Abdu Mary, the Senior Vice President of RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. We lost a great man this week, but the work goes on. We'll talk more about it right after the break. I'm Frank Turek, back in two minutes. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Last July, my mentor and Ravi Zacharias's mentor, a man who also instructed Dr. William Lane Craig, passed away. His name was Dr. Norman Geisler. And Ravi Zacharias was so loyal to Dr. Geisler, who apparently taught him so much, that when Ravi heard the news, I think Ravi was in Singapore or Hong Kong or somewhere in that area of the world. When he heard the news that Dr. Geiser had passed, he got on a plane and he came all the way to Charlotte, North Carolina to do the eulogy for Dr. Geisler. And I'll never never forget how he started. He said, ladies and gentlemen, we are burying a giant today. And now we are about to bury another giant Ravi Zacharias himself. You know, my guest today here is Abdu Murray, the senior vice president of RZIM. Abdu, I've been thinking of analogies, and maybe this is a poor analogy, but I think that Ravi Zacharias is to apologetics what Andrea Pacelli is to opera. And Andrea, Andrea Pacelli. Um, might not be a household name, and Ravi Zacharias might not be a household name, but when the name uh, comes into your purview, when you hear what a Andrea Pacelli says, sings, does, 
or a Ravi Zacharias says, sings, does, you take notice. I don't even like opera, but when I hear Andrea Pacelli, I go, wow. And it, it it's, it's the same, I think, with Ravi Zacharias. People who don't even know about apologetics, they don't know anything about Christianity. When they hear him, they go, wow, I need to check into this more. In fact, the press secretary of the United States, the president of the United States, uh, said today or a couple of days ago in a video, uh, she learned so much from Ravi. She actually teared up in the interview because she knew that she didn't have to check her brains at the door. She said when she became a Christian after hearing Ravi at Oxford, he is and was uh, just an unbelievable apologist, evangelist, philosopher, and theologian. Tell me about the first time you had the opportunity to share the stage with him. Yeah, the, the irony there is that it was my first day on the job. You know, it was my <laughs> very first day. Uh, so we're at the University of Calgary, and there's this large event. We do these missions weeks where our team goes and we speak uh, on uh, at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day, at lunches and dinner times with the with students. Uh, they can be gatherings from 20 to 100 who come to these different, different gatherings. Um, and I had done one or two, and then I was joining Ravi uh, for the main event that, that week, which was going to be this open forum. Um, and it was packed to capacity. Uh, there was a waiting line to get in, if I, if I recall right. Um, I think the, the venue seated uh, 2,000 people, and uh, we could have easily filled a venue twice the size, by, 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 by recollection at least. And I walk in, and... Um, they, they told me, it's my very first day, I mean, I'm literally starting the job that day. Uh, and they said, please um, introduce Ravi, but read some of the story of your testimony and how Ravi helped to effectuate, you know, your coming to Christ in the story. I said, oh, no big deal. Sure, okay. And they said, do it in, do it in about 10 minutes. So I, I, can, I can pull that off. And then you walk into the room, and I've already talked with Ravi. I've known him for a while. And then it suddenly dawns on me as we're walking in, and I sit down. He's never heard me speak live before, um, <laughs> and I'm going to do Q and I'm going to do Q and A with him afterwards. And he's like the Andrea Bocelli of Q and A, and um, I'm going to look like a clown next to this guy. Uh, this is my first day in the job, and might be my last. He might be thinking, "Why did we hire him? Who's responsible? Well, maybe we'll hire two people. I'll do." I'm the guy who hired him, um, <laughs> but that's not Robbie. That's totally not Robbie's style. Right. Uh, well, we got up there. I introduced Robbie. Uh, he was so gracious about the introduction itself. Uh, he invited me to, and, and Andy Bannister, who was also on the team at the time, to come and, and uh, join in for Q&A. And uh, it was just really marvelous because he was handling the questions and the questioners so um, compassionately. There was, there was plenty of hostile questions. There were some obviously Christians who were asking questions as well. But he did it in such a gracious way. And he also did it incisively and insightfully. He would often cut right to the point, but use story to get there. But he also knew the heart of the person talking. Give you a quick example of this. Um, so we're sitting there, and a young man walks up to the microphone. He's Indian, and he says this. He says, um, uh, I was born in India to a Hindu family. Uh, and my question for you is, if God wants me to be a Christian so badly, and why did he put me in India to be born in, in, a, in an Indian family? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, in a Hindu family. Uh, you know, in other words, 
you know, uh, religion is all relative to where you're born. Not really mm-hmm. any one is true kind of thing. So, and that kind of thing. Now, naturally speaking, you have a British guy in Andy Bannister, you have a Lebanese guy in me, and you have Indian uh, who's with, with a Hindi background in terms of his ancestors on the stage. But naturally, the guy who would answer the question would be Robbie. He looks at me, he says, that's for you. And I'm, I didn't know why at the time. Oh, you're kidding I realized, me. He, he, he passed yeah, it to you, Abdu? Man, I, I, was on, I, I was on stage with him once, and thankfully, the, the question was so difficult, it was directed at him, and I was sitting right next to him going, I am thanking the Lord right now that Ravi's answering this and not me. So how did you answer that, Abdu? What did you say? What did you say? <laughs> well, so I, yeah, when I got up and I said to him, I said, you know, it's so interesting that you say that, because you just said that God has placed you, uh, if, if God exists in the Christian Bible, that he has placed you in India uh, to become a Hindu, but he wants you to become a Christian. I said, God's not interested in the label you call yourself. What he wants you to do is to know who his son actually is, because you can call it what you want, but be a Christian is to know his son. That's what it is to be. So here's a question you have to ask yourself, my friend, because you, you ask this question, and it's a good question, and you're asking about destiny and meaning here. So my question for you is this, the question back you have to ask yourself. The Apostle Paul says that God determines where every man should live, that they might seek after God, though he's not far from any one of us. The reality is this. Here you are in a Western country that has freedom of religion, and you can ask this question in open air of a former Muslim, uh, <clears throat> uh, a transplanted Indian, and uh, an Anglican. You can ask all of us this question in a free country. So the question you have to ask is not why did God put you in a Hindu family in India, but why did God place you right here at this microphone where you can ask us about Jesus? Mm. Maybe that's the question you should ask yourself. And the answer is this, is that I was born into a family that was not Christian, yet here I am now, not wanting Christianity to be the truth because of my tradition, but following the truth where it left because I was given the opportunity to follow it where that God placed me in that particular position. And so the question we all have to ask ourselves is, are we going to use our traditions as excuses to not follow the truth, or are we going to follow the truth wherever it leads? I can tell you that I did not want Christianity to be true, yet I found it to be true, and by God's grace, I embraced it as true eventually. That's what I think God wants for you. He doesn't want you to have a label of being a Christian. He wants you to know His Son, and He's given you good reasons and good opportunities to follow it. The question is, what will you do with it? I'm sure that Abdu, that that, that uh, job interview went very well that day. <laughs> it did go well. It did go well, but it was so funny because after I answered the question, I suddenly realized the wisdom of what Robbie had displayed there, because Robbie came from a nominally Christian background. Um, you know, his ancestors were Nambudris, Nambudris who are who the, who the priests of the highest Hindu Hindu caste. But he, his great grandmother, or somewhere early and down the line, had converted, which is why his last name is Zechariah. Um, a lot of the Hindu converts take on uh, Christian names uh, from the prophets of the Old Testament or figures of the New Testament. Um, but he was raised in a nominally Christian home uh, at best, um, uh, so did not feel comfortable talking to saying when there's a former Muslim on the stage with him, saying that he came from a background different than Christianity that would speak to this man, because we're asking him to consider, from a Hindu background, the Christian faith. And he thought that I would be the most applicable person to speak, which, one, goes to his care for the individual who's asking the question. Two, goes to his wisdom for seeing what the question's really about. <clears throat> and then three, giving an opportunity for someone else on the scene 
to answer an important question, and I was brand new. I mean, I was literally eight hours old in RZIM, and he trusted me with that answer. Well, it was a perfect answer, and I pray that that young man who got that answer did pursue the truth. And that Acts 17 passage you brought up, Abdu, where Paul says that God has preordained where people should live so that people will reach out and find him, I think answers a lot of questions with regard to the question, what about those who have never heard? Any of those questions, which, by the way, are moral questions, you know, they're basically implying that God is somehow immoral if he doesn't get his gospel to every living person. And I've heard mm -hmm. Dr. William Lane Craig say, well, it could be that people who never hear the gospel wouldn't have believed it anyway. And that's certainly possible, yeah. right? That God has so preordained where people live that even those who never hear the gospel, if they had heard the gospel, would they wouldn't have believed in it anyway. But that was a very astute answer that you, that you gave. Your job interview went exceedingly well that day, Abdu. And by the way, I, I need to I need to ask people right now, uh, as soon as this uh, podcast is over, you need to go to rzim.org, and you also need to go to their YouTube channel because you will see so many videos from the college campus and from churches where both Ravi Abdu and Vince Vitale and others are answering questions. And Abdu, I remember an answer you gave you're sharing the stage, I think, with Ravi, with John Lennox, and uh, yourself, and maybe one other person. And a question came that was so difficult. It was like a three-pronged question about, I want to say it was about women in the church, uh, the LGBTQ question, and why did God kill the Canaanites? And you had like <laughs> just a few minutes to answer. Or the question came to everybody, and Ravi just turned to you and said, Abdu? You got this one. <laughs> and, and, and right after the break, we'll, we'll maybe give a short answer to that because it was a brilliant answer. And, and folks, you can see that answer. As I say, if you go to the RZIM um, YouTube channel, there are several uh, videos up there that uh, you will see Ravi and his brilliance. And, and but by the way, Abdu, as we're coming up to the break here, one of the things that I, I always tell people about Ravi, one of the great insights that, that I learned from him was Whenever you're answering a question, you need to remember that you're really answering a person. If you just jump into some rote answer and you're not trying to discover why that person is asking the question, it can be a disaster. And Ravi was so good at that, Abdu. He was excellent at it. And that, uh, that sense in which you, he, he often said this, before he uh, answers a question, he always envisions himself giving a verbal hug to the questioner. And that's how he wow. Amazing. We're talking to Abdu Murray. His latest book written with Ravi Zacharias, by the way, is called Seeing Jesus from the East. We're having a bit of a tribute to Ravi today, and we'll do more right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. And we're back in just two minutes, so don't go anywhere. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My uh, website or our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. But what I want you to do right now is go to rzim.org. In fact, if you're a monthly contributor to crossexamine.org, thank you so much for supporting us through this difficult time. But if you give monthly to us, I'd really love it if you would take one monthly donation and go to RZIM and uh, provide what you normally give to us to them this month because they are going to move forward with amazing um, amazing effort and uh, amazing talent, which I, we're going to tell you about here in just a minute. Abdu Murray is my guest today. He's the senior vice president of RZIM. And despite the fact that Ravi has gone to be with the Lord, the organization is going to continue and these talented people are going to continue to bring Christianity in a very thoughtful and winsome way all over the world. And they do it through evangelism. They do it through philosophy. They do it through apologetics and theology. There's really no other organization like it. So if you can support them this month and even going into the future, that would be wonderful. But before we get into that, Abdu, I got to ask you, um, how you answered that question I mentioned before the break was brilliant. I think you went for maybe seven minutes and you covered women in the church, LGBTQ, and also the Canaanites. We can't cover all them right here, right now. People can go to the, uh, the YouTube channel and see your complete answer. But let's just do women in the church because people think, well, yeah. you know, Christians uh, put women in a second class way. And that's not true at all. It's not true. It's, it's, it's radically untrue. It's hard to find uh, a, a, a book of the Bible where a woman actually isn't exalted in some way to her rightful place. Uh, you have whole books of the Bible that are named after women and the courageousness of women uh, in times when they would have no standing whatsoever to effectuate any change. Actually, they are lauded as the ones who actually do make the change, whether it's Ruth and Esther and all these things. So going in the Old Testament, you have Deborah, who was um, appointed uh, by God to be a judge in the time of the judges, um, who had that authority. You had Hulda, who was entrusted with the Book of the Law. You had all these prophetesses, and there's, there's, some, there's uh, uh, more than a dozen different women who are considered prophetesses who are spokespeople on behalf of the Lord in these ways. And then you move over and you go into the, the, the New Testament, and you see page after page and example after example of the way Jesus um, treating women as equals. There's a couple of, uh, of examples that just jump out to me. One is just a, a very cursory way to look at it, but it requires a lot of depth to see the understanding of it, is that Jesus actually used women in parables to describe what God is like. You see this in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 to 10, about the woman who, is, uh, who has a 10 silver coins, and if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and speak diligently until she finds it. Uh, so you see over and over again these proxies that God, that Jesus uses women as proxies in his parables for God, and that is unheard of. That is the kind of thing that the, the rabbis of the day and the leaders of the day would have considered scandalous. Then you see this wonderful example of where you have Mary and Martha, right? So Martha is the one who's busy. She, she, she is in the kitchen, and she's preparing the meal, and she's preparing the food for all the feast that's going to come. And Mary, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is upset because, because Mary doesn't know her place. This is interesting because studies actually showed that when women started entering into the workforce in traditionally male roles, like engineering firms and other places, a woman would often have to deal with some of the misogyny that was happening with the males around them. 
But when another woman came into the picture, they didn't form a bond. What happened was a tokenism took over, and the woman found herself, the first woman, found herself identifying with the male and actually trying to, in some way, in order to be ingratiated into the, into the, into the, the male-dominated area she was in, picking on the next woman who was there. Uh, it was when they realized this, they began to have their solidarity. Well, Martha is doing this to Mary. She's like, Jesus, put her in her place. She belongs in the kitchen with me instead of at your feet. And at your feet was not an insult. It was an honor given to students who could say, sit under the teaching of a rabbi. And educations were denied women in those days. And what does Jesus say to Martha? He says, Mary has chosen what is better. She has chosen an education, and it will not be taken from her. He was an advocate for the education of women. He wouldn't even let other women take it from women. He was telling Mary, you deserve this too. So you see that there, of course. And then, of course, the culminating miracle of the entire scripture, of, in, of history, really, is the, uh, uh, is the resurrection of Jesus. Once the creation of the world happens, then you have the resurrection of Jesus. And the most important miracle theologically is that Jesus saves us by his death and resurrection. And who are the first ones to see it? It's the women followers. If you were making that story up, you would not make it the women followers. Yet it's not just that it lends credibility to the account that Jesus rose from the dead because, you know, the writers of the New Testament told it like it was. They wouldn't have faked the women seeing and They would have faked Peter or James or anybody else mm-hmm. uh, who was a male rather than the women. Uh, it's not just the credibility of the account that's at stake here. It's the dignifying of women who were there at his cradle. The Bible tells us that they financially supported Jesus' ministry. They were there when he was being murdered, and they were there at his resurrection. Jesus dignifies women with some of the most important events in all of history as the primary witnesses. It becomes a thing where one wonders, how could it be that we actually thought that Jesus was somehow against women? He was so for them, and uh, examples abound. There's also a spot in your book Abdu, uh, Seeing Jesus from the East, the last book that Ravi published, and he published it with you, where you talk about an incident, I think in the in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, where a woman seems to correct Jesus on something. And when we read it with Western eyes, we really don't quite get it. But with mm-hmm. Eastern eyes, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what your book that you just did with Ravi helps people understand. It helps people understand the Eastern culture in which Jesus ministered. Can you describe that account or that incident that Jesus had with the woman and how knowing the Eastern culture will help us understand that passage? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus is approached by a Canaanite woman. And this is very important. She's a Canaanite. She is not the kind of, kind of person that uh, the Jews would have been in love with because of the history of the Canaanites and the Jews' interactions with the formation of the very nation of Israel. So not only is she a woman, but she's a Canaanite woman. So there's ethnic and racial issues involved in this whole discussion, and of course there's a gender gap between men and women at the time and the way women were treated. But here she comes and she asks the Jewish rabbi, Jesus, for help for her daughter. And what the crowd expects is for Jesus to treat her with ethnic disdain and for gender disdain. And Jesus wants to teach them something. He wants to teach everyone, including his disciples, how you actually interact with somebody in a very dignified way. So what he does is he says something that seems indignified. He says to her, it's not right when she asks for the favor, when she asks for the blessing. It's not right for the food meant for the children 
to go to the dogs, meaning Jews who are the children should not have their blessings going to the non-Jews. Now, he knows what she'll say back. He knows that this Middle Eastern banter that they're going through, this is how Middle Easterners talk, make a mm. point six, they engage with the banter and the back and forth. And he dignifies her with the conversation. He doesn't send her away, which everyone wanted. He engages in the conversation with her. And what does she do using her savvy that Jesus knows he has? She has? She says, ah, but even the crumbs that fall from the master's table can go to the dog. And you see how clever she's being. And he uses what she says to teach the people around, uh, around them. And he says, great is your faith. He tells a non-Jewish woman that her faith is great. And he makes her, he dignifies her by making her the teacher of everyone in the area. I tell you this, as a lawyer, a lawyer is trained to tell the story through other witnesses, and Jesus tells a lesson through another person. He uses her as the teacher to everybody. Now, this is interesting, because this is a Middle Eastern way of doing things. This is the way Middle Easterners often make their point. And I saw somebody, I heard someone who complained that Jesus had to learn to not be a sexist and not be a racist. And this incident is evidence that Jesus, in the early days, was a sexist and a racist. My response was this. You have looked at that through solely Western eyes. You have imposed your Western sensibilities onto the conversation that Jesus is having. And so you have actually forsaken the ethnicity of Jesus. And in doing so, I wonder who is really being racially insensitive, because you haven't taken into account the ethnic differences between the way Middle Easterners talk and the way Westerners talk. And you didn't see that Jesus dignified her in the way he included her in the whole episode and taught people around him. And if you look at it through Middle Eastern eyes, you'll see the beauty of that conversation. But if you refuse to do that and you impose a Western view on it, then you have to wonder who's the one who's being ethnically insensitive. Now, you're a former Muslim that originally your family came from Lebanon. What mistakes do Christians make in trying to evangelize people from the East, particularly when it comes to, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, are, are we making a mistake when we think that way? Uh, I think that we are making the mistake when we go too far with that kind of thinking. Obviously, we don't want to offend people unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, the gospel itself becomes a defense. We, we know this, but the Bible literally tells us that people will be offended by the message of the gospel because that message is, you're a terrible sinner, I'm a terrible sinner, we need someone who's not us to save us from ourselves. We can't save ourselves. That's already offensive. But what people mean, it's right-hearted but wrong-headed, because they're so afraid of offending someone that they actually begin to insult another person. Because they're saying to a Muslim or to a Hindu or to a Buddhist or whatever it might be, I don't want to offend you because I think you're made of porcelain, and if I have the slightest barb thrown your way, you're going to shatter into a million pieces. That's not the case. Give them the dignity of difference. Tell them, I respect your belief system and what you believe so much. I don't have to agree with it to respect it, but I respect that you hold it and that your system is different than my system. But there's a fundamental difference, and our differences make a difference. So you can disagree without being disagreeable, but disagreement does not equal offense. Disagreement just equals disagreement. And you can do that intelligently and compassionately at the same time. So I want to caution listeners, don't approach everyone with kid gloves like they're made of porcelain. That itself is an insult. Instead, treat them as a person made in God's image who holds a different worldview to you. Every human being deserves respect, but not every idea is created equal. 
And that's an important uh, position for us to understand. We're talking to Abdu Murray. He is the senior vice president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He is integral in that organization. And right after the break, we're going to tell you about how that organization is going to go forward and how you can help. And we're also going to have some other uh, insights or I should say memories uh, about Ravi because he taught each of us uh, so much and so many other people he's taught so much that it would be very appropriate for us to reflect on that a little bit and remind our listeners the kind of insight that Robbie Zacharias had. And we'll continue to have, by the way, because his ministry is going to continue, not just through his recordings, but also through the people you're listening to right now, like Abdu Mary and several others at RZIM. So don't go anywhere. I'm Frank Turek, and you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. And we're going to come back here in two minutes with Abdu Mary. Hi, friends. Frank Turek. You can only have two things. Either you can have hope or you can have despair. Every day during this coronavirus season at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 Central, we will be live online with a new live stream called Hope One. It's at crossexamined.org. Go to crossexamined.org, and we're going to give you hope every weekday, Monday through Friday, 11.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central. I hope you can join me. Before we get back to reflecting on the great Ravi Zacharias, I need to mention that coming up this August, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy is scheduled to go on in Dallas, Texas. Myself, Greg Kokel, Jay Warner Wallace, Brett Kunkel, Richard Howe, uh, so many others are going to be your instructors at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, CIA, our 13th annual. It is a three-day intensive event. We only take between 50 and 60 people because we want to train you on how you can become a better apologist, where you can bloom where you're planted. If you want to apply to it, you need to go to crossexamine.org, click on events. You'll see CIA there. Go through the queues. And I hope to see you in Dallas in August. Now, don't worry about the coronavirus. Viruses cannot survive in Dallas in August. In fact, very few people can survive in Dallas in August. So we hope to see you there, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. Okay, I'm talking to my friend Abdu Mary. His new book with the late, great Robbie Zacharias is called Seeing Jesus from the East. And uh, you need to pick up a copy of it. We haven't had that much opportunity to talk about that book here on this uh, broadcast. But trust me, it is a wonderful resource. It will help you uh, learn more about Jesus in angles you probably haven't thought of before. And it will also help you interact and evangelize people from that part of the world. But Abdu, before we go any further, I know people are thinking, you know, when Billy Graham dies, what's the Billy Graham Evangel uh, evangelistic Association going to do? When the great Ravi Zacharias passes on, what is RZIM going to do? What is the future, Abdu? Well, the future is actually quite bright. Um, uh, despite our sorrow right now, it is a temporary um, uh, uh, sorrow because we know we're going to see Ravi eventually. We're going to carry mm -hmm. this with us for years. But the reality is, is that Ravi had the vision, the prevision, a long time ago. In fact, I would even say at the inception of the ministry, where though his name was on the door, as it were, he always knew that the ministry was not about him. He wanted it to be about other people, He uh, in terms of other speakers who were going to do the work of an evangelist using apologetics around the world. And um, Michael Ramsden is one of our earliest uh, uh, 
sort of recruits on, under Robbie Sutilage. Robbie uh, Michael Ramson is now the president of RDIM, a brilliant guy from the UK who's coming over to live in the United States to come in our, work in our HQ. And he's a global speaker as well. Stuart McAllister was one of the earliest uh, 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 speakers on the team as well. Amy Orbewing, who is another senior vice president along with me, she's based in the UK. But in the U.S., in the US we have so many wonderful speakers. We have Vince Latali, PhD from Oxford, who studied at Princeton, a fellow New Jersey guy, Frank. Uh, forget you know. about it. Um, and yeah, forget about it. And, <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, he's an Italianist. He's, he's an Italianist <laughs> uh, uh-huh. And his wife, his wife, Joe Vitale. Now you hear Joe Vitale, and immediately you think a good old Italian guy. But Joe Vitale is Joanne Vitale, who is as British as they come. And so everything mm-hmm. she says sounds brilliant, but it actually is brilliant. So <laughs> the British accent is just is just uh-huh. doubly unfair. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and she's in our in, in our U.S. office. We have so many speakers, Alicia Wood, Kevin McAllister, uh, so many other speakers, Nathan Betts, in the United States. Robbie built an organization that has 57 full-time speakers and almost 100 uh, speakers total, including adjuncts and various different levels of um, or, uh, affiliation with RZIM. And they're all over the world in some 15 countries. He never envisioned this to end when he, uh, he would always say, hang up his skates. Um, uh, I'm not sure why he used that analogy because he loves cricket, but uh, mm-hmm. he would say, "Hang up the skates." Uh, not many Indians hang up their skates, but he would talk. He would, he would always say that. He never envisioned this, and then he always envisioned it to, tear, to, to continue uh, as long as the Lord tarries. And then when he comes, uh, we don't need apologetics anymore. Uh, but uh, he never wanted to end there. So Michael is taking the charge in terms of the presidency. Uh, I'm actively involved in ministry and. Really, when you look at Robbie, he, his, his manner, his demeanor, the kind of man he was, the sharp mind he had, the compassionate heart he, he expressed himself with and interacted with people with, really attracted some amazing people. They really did. You know, Robbie would say, we don't go and find people. They, they find us. Mm. And so people who are like-minded come to the ministry. And through our various means, we've, we've managed to... Um, bring people on board who want to uh, perpetuate the kind of evangelism Robbie did. No, you know, you know me. Uh, you've, you've, uh, I'm six foot eight. I, I, I have 280 pounds, and I have size 15 feet. But none of us can fill Robbie Zechariah's shoes, um, and we don't intend to. What we intend to do is perpetuate the ministry that Robbie had, but also do it uniquely because he would always tell each one of us. Be you. The Lord has gifted you to be you. Mm-hmm. But be you the most Christ-like way you can be. Um, don't be Robbie. Be like Jesus, but be the, the, the one that God has made you to be. And he would always encourage us in our specific gifts, in our specific backgrounds. Robbie never had the chance to get a Ph.D. He always wanted to get an earned doctorate. And as you know, he's got multiple, multiple um, uh, honorary doctorates. So he never got an earned doctorate. Uh, he wanted to support so badly, but he never got a chance. So he was encouraging to members on the team to go and get that education. We have PhDs of every stripe, from people who are in sciences and the textual criticism and the philosophy and all these things, because he really wanted to impact this world and reach the cultural influencers and the thinkers. That's why the motto of the ministry is helping the thinker to believe, that's evangelism, but helping the believer to think, that's discipleship and training. And so we have every intention of just catapulting this ministry that Robbie started 
into the, into the future. Well, the wonderful family of Ravi Zacharias needs to be commended, Abdu, because they sacrificed quite a bit while Ravi and his team were on the road, sometimes up to 240 days a year. So we want everyone to pray for Margie, for the three children, for the grandchildren, for the entire organization. Would you send a donation to rzim.org to, to keep them strong moving forward? Because as Abdu just mentioned, the talent that they have to go out to a lost and dying world is at the very top of uh, what we find in the world. Uh, people who are great theologically, they're great philosophically, they're obviously great apologetically, and they do it all in a winsome way. So uh, I'm urging everybody, if you can, if you can support them, to go to rzim.org. And uh, do you have any details, by the way, Abdu, as to who is doing the memorial service? Or are there a number of speakers? Do we even know that yet? Yeah, there's a number of, of people who are going to be doing it. Um, it's going to be invite-only, and there's going to be, because uh, we're in a COVID world, you know, uh, so we have to you know, manage that and take care of that, but it's going to be live streamed. So okay, the good, good news is, is that if people can't make it, um, uh, and obviously it'll be very, very limited in capacity, but um, it will be live streamed. So details will be will be coming up, but uh, uh, the, the, the most important detail for, for, for the listeners to know is that it will be live streamed and um, uh, we can all pay our respect that way and reflect on a life extremely well-lived and a champion of the faith that the world is a little dimmer because he's gone, but it will break mm -hmm. back up. You know, I was thinking about this uh, the day he died just a few days ago, and I don't even know if this is a valid thought or not, Abdu, because this has not mm -hmm. been revealed. This is not in the scriptures. But you know, when somebody famous dies, particularly a Christian, you look at Ravi, you look at Nabil, who died very young, and, and, and some people will say, oh, what did he do wrong to deserve this early fate? And of course, Jesus nullifies that in Luke 13. You can go read about it. He says, no, these people were not worse sinners than you. But unless you repent, the, the, this, this will also happen to you. But we don't often look at it in the, in, in, in the reverse. It wasn't a judgment on Ravi or Nabil or anyone. They're with Jesus now. It may be more of a judgment on us that we haven't been listening enough to people like this. Mm. And God finally says, if you're not going to listen to my people, I'm going to bring them home. Now, again, this has not been revealed. I'm just speculating here. And it's, that's not, that's, that's all right. it is, is speculation. And then I see just yesterday, the Babylon Bee, who is, which is a Christian satire site, had a headline that said something like, Ravi Zacharias deemed too worthy for this world or something like that, you know, because yeah, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> just the way he carried himself, and, 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 and okay, he was a sinner just like you and I are. We know that. But you know him personally. I know him personally. And we can both vouch for the fact that he is the same. He, he was the same person off the stage as he was on the stage, Abdu. Oh, he, he was. And I get that question asked so often. In fact, Ravi tells the story. I remember him telling the story about how he had given a talk and someone uh, had invited their atheist friend to come. And they, they sat in the audience, and they listened to him speak, and the friend was driving home. And they, they, they later recounted this to Robbie. The friend was driving home with their atheist friend and said, okay, well, what did you think? And he said, compelling. Just compellingly delivered, but the content was really something. Um, but do you have any questions? And they said, I only have one question. Is he really like that? Is he like that in his private life? Um, and uh, Robbie said that it really, really meant something to him that uh, that question was in the minds of people. 
Uh, I never met somebody who was more uh, uncomfortable with being well-known uh, than Robbie because while he, wasn't, he didn't have a false humility, he also knew that sometimes these things can be, you know, facades, and he never wanted to be a facade. He always wanted to be authentic. He was the man on stage that he was in real life and vice versa. Um, you know, he, he preached that message so often that every human being is made in the image of God and therefore has an essential worth and an objective dignity and value, and that he treated people that way. I've heard him, I've seen him shake the hand and speak to people in the highest positions of any government, captains of industry, celebrities of every stripe. And he speaks to them just like he speaks to the rickshaw driver and the cab driver and the, the, the bellman at the hotel. So whether they're in charge of an entire country or all they do is push the button in the elevator at the hotel we're at in Asia, whatever it happens to be, he speaks to them the same way. Abdu, thank you so much for all you're doing. And we're going to pray for you, RZIM, and everyone there moving forward. Thank you, brother. It's my pleasure, Frank. Thanks so much for having me on. That's the great Abdu Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Seeing Jesus from the East is his book along with Robbie Zacharias. Pick it up, and we'll see you here next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.